Hey, what's up, guys? This is Benji. This is Marco. Hi. Just saying hello before we get to the start of the podcast here. This podcast was recorded back in mid-July, so we've had it in the can for a while. Uh, but it's a fun episode. Uh, we'll be talking to Norman Buckley about Now You See Me, Now You Don't, S4E12, Pretty Little Liars. Uh, continuing the joke that we started with Norman, where every subsequent episode we covered of him was an earlier episode, and we referenced things that you wouldn't hear till later. In this episode, we'll be talking about an episode we recorded even earlier that you'll have to wait until later to listen to, yes. Yeah. So, lots of fun. Um, and we just wanted to give a brief reminder of our little contest we're running. We uh, published a book recently. It's called My Name, or I'm sorry, it's called Trouble Always Finds Me. The first book is called My Name is Trouble. This is a sequel. It's called Trouble Always Finds Me. And it is out now, available for paperback through Amazon or through ebook through lots of different places. Um, if you purchase a book and you want to win a, uh, an opportunity to be on the podcast with us, go ahead and take a picture of the book or your e-reader and then tweet your Instagram a photo of it with the hashtag trouble always finds me and you'll be entered into a drawing. We're going to pick two people. And those winners can host either a PLL commentary episode with us or on our sister podcast, they uh, headcanon, they can talk about a movie or TV show with us. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever wanted to join the bros, now's your chance. Just, you know, shell out some cold hard cash for a book, but it's an entertaining book. I think you'd like it. Or still your friends. Or still your friends, I guess. Yeah. If you have friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If If you have friends. (laughs) Not everyone does. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But you, right. we could be your friends for, you know, a period of recording time. Mm-hmm. You can double dip. So you can post on uh, Instagram and Twitter if you want, you know, two lottery balls in the drawing there. And mm-hmm. if you have a private account, go ahead and just uh, DM us or shoot us an email, broswatchpl2 at gmail.com so that we see it. Otherwise, we won't see it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that covers it. Let's get on to Norman. Yeah. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And welcome back to Bros Watch PLL2. This week on the pod, we have a special guest, Norman Buckley, director of Pretty Little Liars. How you doing, Norman? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing well, thanks. Yeah. Very, very it's, fun to, it's fun to be back here with you again. Yeah, the, Norman's joining us for another commentary, even though listening, I think this might be the first one that airs because this episode is before... Uh, the season five episode we did last time. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. So this is like, so people will hear this before they hear that, even though we, yeah. It's a little bit of how the podcast sausage is made. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So well, it was fun. It was fun doing the last one. So I'm glad we're doing another one. Yeah, you Great. can catch Norman on a S five E five, Miss Me Times one hundred hundredth episode of PL. This week we're doing. Uh, S4E12, Now You See Me, Now You Don't, the season 4A finale. Maybe we should even do some earlier ones so that it just becomes weirder <laughs> it just becomes and weirder. weirder, and weirder, and weirder yeah. <laughs> just keep going backwards, yeah. Um, this episode, I'd say, has everything. Ravenswood, Death Traps, Magic, Marsha Clark, 
twinning and Ashley Marin doppelgangers, Cece Drake, the mother of all Ezra reveals, and something else that makes us like a Stefan setup that I don't have. <laughs> it's got the just the random weird bus from like 1970 that pulls up to take Caleb yeah. away from the show. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This was definitely one of those episodes where we just were thinking of weird shit. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. And I want to say, I'm not for sure, but uh, Brian and Marlene wrote this one. Yep. Right. And yep. uh, I, th- I think this may have been the first episode I did with Marlene directly. Mm. I th- I, I'd have to go back and look. There might have been one before this, but I think this might have been the first one where we, where we were actually that working. Sounds right, I mean, obviously. Yeah we knew each other really well and we were close and I had a good relationship with her, but I just had never landed on one of her episodes until this one. So this was really fun. My only question before we start is, so you're, you're prepping this episode, you're doing like tone meetings and stuff. How do you even begin to decide how surreal you want this to be? Well, it's interesting, the fact that you brought up surrealism, because I was at um, Marlene's for dinner a couple of weeks ago, and we were actually talking about that. And I was talking about the fact that, that um, you know, my, looking back on the show, reflecting on the show, we were talking about your podcast, and we were also talking about the, the, um, the Wine Moms and their podcast. And uh, I was saying that, you know, looking back on the show, you really do see that it that's what it is it's surrealism you know and and um you know if you think about uh, surrealism is is having you know a dreamlike atmosphere that's what the show is and marlene kind of was like huh she said that's what you think we were doing and i was like certainly like my interpretation of what um is surrealism you know and there is that aspect that i really enjoyed about the show that uh, was it was a, a, a palette on which you could do things like the creepy old bus or the the weird magic show or the the you know it, it just didn't it didn't matter which direction we went in and I know that there's a lot of the fans out there who hate me for saying this <laughs> this business about dream, dream logic. logic but that's what it is in fact I even had somebody tweet me the other day they wrote you know it still makes me angry that you said this back in whenever what whatever year it was that I said it it's been wow. so long ago now and I, I almost wrote them back and I almost wanted to just say just let it go let let go of the bitterness you know like and I just didn't because I didn't want to get into it on Twitter with this fan right. but I just think that's that's what's so great about the show. I don't mean that as an excuse. I don't mean that as therefore it doesn't matter that certain holes in the plot exist. I'm not, I'm not even speaking to that. I'm speaking to the idea that the show functions on a dream level. And that's why it feels so emotional and why it's so much fun to watch across a wide demographic. I don't think it's about uh, trying to use that as an excuse for whatever um, deficiencies certain fans may feel like there is in the storytelling. I don't, I don't even care to engage with that debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel the success of the show and why the show worked 
was that everybody, everybody, the writers, uh, uh, the, the entire production team, a lot of the directors really gave themselves over to this more intuitive experience of, of, um, of storytelling. And so I can't remember, this has been a long time ago now that I did this episode, but, and I'll probably remember more as we go through it, but I, I do remember getting this script and seeing certain things and just going, well, what happens here? Why does this happen? And, and then I just thought, don't worry about it. What you want to do is, is create uh, emotion, such a, such a rush of emotion that you're not even thinking about those things. And particularly when we get to the sawmill sequence, <laughs> we, can, we can talk about that specifically. Oh, yeah. But the, the, um, the prep on this one was, was uh, really f- fun, actually, because it just came down to, yeah, we're just going to go for it. We're just going to put the pedal to the metal and go for it. And just, um, uh, this was a finale, as I remember. It was a finale for mm-hmm. one of the, it was either, I think it was like 4A. 3 a, 4A? 4A. 4, yeah. Okay, 4A. Gosh, I was, I guess either three whole seasons before this that I, <laughs> it's like I can't even keep track anymore. I was thinking it was 3A. But um, uh, yeah, you know, so I just remember getting the script and thinking, this has got a lot in it and that should be really fun to to examine. Yeah, I remember when we were doing our interview with Troy and I think she's talking about how everything was at such a like an, an elevated emotional stakes, like to, every scene to get into, like you had to go like all the way up, you know, like you couldn't really just play things like really kind of like passive, like it's just like there's so so much intensity and like heightened emotion like constantly in the show. Yeah, and you know, the, the show that we were just talking about before we got on the air, which will remain nameless, you know, that's exactly what I feel like is missing in that show, you know, is that that sense of of emotional commitment, you know, just go for it. The emotional stakes are great. Maybe that does have that now that I'm thinking about it. Now that I'm thinking about the the, the nameless show that we were talking about, maybe that does have that. Maybe there is some of that that's just so wacky and out there that that you just that that's why you buy in yeah i mean the characters are definitely in that nameless show reacting emotionally the problem is that i feel like it it feels true in pll like spencer's in a banana situation that would never happen there would never be a robot death shower in real life but you can emotionally connect with her <laughs> terror and i think the yeah it's it's totally surreal i mean if you're sitting around waiting for melting clocks you've missed the point like it's, <laughs> it's still pretty surreal yeah yeah I, I i just really love the idea of looking back at the show and and you know even marlene was at dinner she said well we certainly weren't conscious of that we weren't making those choices consciously and uh, yeah and 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 uh i almost feel like when i did make those choices consciously my my own uh uh filmmaking when I made certain choices that I felt like, well, I'm going to do this now. It's less powerful than the stuff that I just gave myself over to. When I was intellectualizing about it, it's not as good. Mm. You know, I, I, I look back on some of the episodes where I wasn't really operating from my intellect. I was operating more from my gut. 
And those episodes are far better than the ones where I feel like I was intellectually trying to impose something on the material in terms of, of the freedom of my own work, if that mm. makes sense. I just watched this uh, documentary about Pauline Kael and, um, you know, her writing was just all over the place. It was fun to read when she was a critic, but she was wildly inconsistent. You know, she just would love something and then she'd hate another movie for the very same thing she loved in, in, <laughs> in a movie that she just reviewed two weeks before. But what I loved about her writing and the reason why people enjoyed reading her, I think, was that her writing was very emotional. And it just, she was just writing from almost like this, um, this just gut level place. And so it was fun to read. And, and then when she got too intellectual about things or when she was moving it more into the, the realm of um, uh, trying to impose ideas onto it, it was less fun to read. And I think that's true about um, filmmaking as well. There is a level on which you just have to surrender yourself to the uh, intuition and follow your intuition. And this episode, uh, more than any other that I did on the series, I think, was the one where I just gave myself totally to it. You know, I just was like, okay, we're, we're going to be in a sawmill and somebody's going to be in a casket. Mm -hmm. And we're just, we're just going to go with it. We're not even going to worry about any of the, of the various things that get us to those places as much as we're just going to get to those places and be having such a heavy emotional experience that nobody is thinking about. On this episode, I think you probably are edging as close as the show gets to supernatural and like these next, this one and the next one, I would say. Grunewald. Well, I guess there's the, uh, the one Halloween episode with the ghost girl, but otherwise, yeah. Well, part of that was, you know, setting up Ravenswood. Mm -hmm. But, but, um, but again, you know, as opposed to going into the supernatural uh, and, and, and thinking about it from that place, I, 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 I return to the idea of, of uh, a dream reality. I just think that that's a much better way to think about it. I think that's a better way to even interpret all of Ravenswood. You know, it's just a dream. It's just a dream reality. And, and I don't know why people have such a response to that because dreams are such a part of our life. You know, they're such a part of our, our very existence and, and to be able to uh, experience a waking dream is an exciting thing. And, and to, to um, uh, just embrace that side of the show, well, why not? Why not like just see it that way? It, it makes it more fun, not less fun. You know, I think it's this idea people want to put their, their, um, their responses in a box. You know, they want to lock it down. A lot of the shippers want to lock it all down. <laughs> like it all down into, you know, it's this relationship and it's this and it's only frozen this. And amber. Yeah. yeah. Frozen and amber is a perfect way to, to say it. And, and I just think that there's something much more exciting from a filmmaking point of view and from a, from a, um, um, uh, uh, audience point of view, just to, to give yourself over to the experience and, and even Hitchcock talked about this in the Hitchcock Truffaut book, of course, that I always reference every time I talk to you guys. Uh, you know, he talked about the plausibles, the people who, who want everything to, to, to make sense plausibly, you know, it, and, and, and just how that's the death of really enjoyable cinema is trying to fit everything into a box. And that's where, you know, he came up with the idea of the MacGuffin. Why is it happening? Well, who cares, you know? 
and and this this um, episode more than any other that I did, I think, really worked on that level. You know, the magic show is a MacGuffin. You know, who who did what and why and where in that magic show? Well, who cares? You know, all that needed to happen was that there needed to be this distraction so that Emily disappears. And and I think that you asked me about the prep. That was one of the things that I I started to to ask Marlene, you know, when we were prepping, I was like, well, maybe why does this? And she was like, well, because we have to get Emily into a coffin, you know, and that was her answer. And I was just like, oh, yeah, of course. What, What am I thinking? Why am I why am I going off down this other track, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, A clearly shops at an Etsy store for nightmares in this episode. So it's like, you know, <laughs> if you accept anything else, you're already halfway there. So yeah. going into this, I hope I hope those fans will let go of the anger and embrace it as fear. <laughs> I, I know there's certain fans that will never forgive me for the dream logic comment. And I realize that they're still hanging on to it. I think this particular fan also was in Brazil. So, <laughs> you know, like, maybe they're, maybe they're just having a really hard time in the pandemic as well. So, you know, they so just wanted, they wanted to take it out on somebody and I was handy. Yeah. It was so funny. You just came to Brazil. <laughs> it was so funny though, to get this, this uh, tweet. It was just like, I'm still bitter about this. And it was like, <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> just print it off sign the tweet mail it back to them (laughs) (laughs) all right why don't we why don't we get into this okay so (laughs) so uh yeah i'll give us all a countdown if you guys want to follow along at home this is episode uh season four episode 12 now you see me now you don't we're gonna start playing right from the beginning so we're gonna include the preseason let's go on three two one play ravenswood I love how everything there is a little bit desaturated. You know, Meg Foster is so she was so wonderful to work with. I loved working with her. And just to confirm, those are her real eyeballs. Those are her real eyes. So we just did uh, uh, four ten with Leslie Farah. So some of this is familiar here. We we skipped the hoedown episode, but we did the one right before it. I mean, even the hoedown. That's not that's not a dream I would have, but that's uh, I, I love that episode though. I think uh, Melanie Mayron. Oh, and there's uh, Tanner. I love her so much, and I love that guy. We talked about him last time. Yeah. And there's uh, CC. Okay, now we're into the show. Oh, that's the right. Wilden is still dead. Yeah, and now she's gonna. Uh, D.A. Marsha Clark is going to get Ashley officially exonerated in this episode, I believe. Gosh, you guys, I can't, I can't remember what some of the backstory <laughs> I, was leading I think up that to this. Happens, so, yeah. you know, I'm, I may be kind of wandering through this with a certain amount of puzzlement. Oh, there's... Oh, you, you know it's a special Marlene episode when they get a weird package. Yeah. They're they all, they all feel the need to... Oh, the, the, the Magic 8 Balls, I forgot about that. <laughs> There's so many patterns in these dresses, too. Can you imagine making those magic eight balls? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that each one of them, like, read the answer <laughs> on the bottom and, and they had the right one. <laughs> yeah, or they're reading them in the wrong order and it's like A, kisses, 
if you tell what what does this mean oh look at that the close captioning says word war a yeah that was world war that was a hashtag i think for this episode world world war a just the people who had to come up with the hashtags constantly like not the father (laughs) i love not the father that was the best one Oh, look at all these Ashy Marins. And Marsha Clark. This was It was exciting to meet her. I can imagine. I mean, how did this come about? Uh, she is a friend of uh, Hindi Wally, who is the head of post-production. Cool. And they knew each other. And Marsha Clark was a fan of the show. And that's how it happened. It feels so, right. It was fun. Yeah. And... I forgot totally about this scene. There's there's a lot in this episode that's going to surprise me. But. I know I always felt a little bit thrown by Luke Kleintank's character because he shows up with a cowboy hat on when we first see him. And so I just kind of mentally assumed he must be some sort of cowboy guy, even though he's totally not. Yeah. It, was just a, it was just a hoedown. Yeah. <laughs> it's still, it feels weird when he's not wearing the hat. <laughs> and, I, you know, here's another classroom scene. It's like... I mean, Arya's okay. kind of got like a 50s thing, like yeah. a surreal 50s vibe here. And is I can't remember. Is this one of those scenes? Oh, yes. Can I have a minute of your time? Yes, I fully expected something like that was going to happen. <laughs> this was one of those scenes where I was like with Lucy and Ian. I was just like, okay, which aisle do you want to come up this time? Because we've done this particular scene so many times before. And it's like, Ian, do you want to stand or sit? And... This is when he's being super shady. Yeah. Well, and it's going to get worse. Well, shadier and one more wonderful. I should put it that way. Oh, Jake. So if I remember correctly, we've already had in this season, Jake proved subtly that he can't hang with Arya because he doesn't get black and white movies, which is like the biggest sin in the world to her. And I think this is the one where he falls asleep during their movie date. Right. Is, this, yes, the, is okay. this the one where Shauna plays like the oh, cello? That's a different there's... one, I think. I think it's a different okay. one. Yeah. Well, and I think there were some lines there that were cut out because this episode came in really long. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they were just canoodling it by the door just randomly. I think that there were some lines that got cut out there, if I remember. Watching this about the sound on, just seeing the way these two look at each other. They're very attractive people. Let's just put it that way. I mean, it's got to be weird when your daughter's boyfriend helps bail you out of a murder act. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Caleb, my favorite thing about you is your hair. Don't ever come back to town without your long hair. So this is at, this is before Ravenswood. Yeah, he's yeah. like, going to leave at the end of this one. Right, okay. I had to, I had to my, myself. my vague memory about podcasting about this episode before was that we really got hung up on it Ashley. being Toby's fault that Caleb ended up in the in the car or without the car that he ended to get on the bus. Toby like takes his car or something. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. I remember. 
So we're dropping the charges. You're free to go. Light gasp. <laughs> you know? You know what we should do? We should do like the, uh, we should do like uh, Mystery Science Theater does, you know, and just come up with new lines for everybody. You know, like, I'll meet you later at the brew. Why can't you just meet me now? Tell me now. Okay, I don't know nothing about hair. Is this an ombre? I think so, yeah. A what? An what ombre? An ombre, yeah. Ombre? It's like a like a fade, like a hair fade. Okay. Yeah. Trying to remember, has Paige done her like ultimatum yet, or is that towards the end of this the season? I feel like that's later. Yeah, I think this is in the middle of things. When is the kicking the trash can? Is that season three? Um. Yeah, yeah, because she sees Emily kiss Nate Saint Germain. Okay. Yeah. I love the way that they just left all the eight balls out there on the <laughs> kitchen counter. <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. Peter Hastings think of that when he comes down to his coffee? <laughs> the Hastings must be out on the road. She must be there all alone. She doesn't feel any need to hide those. It just it just makes so much more sense to me if A just has like a team. Now look at this dress. Crafts. Look at this dress that uh oh she's going on a date, isn't she? Yeah, she's oh, going on Ted. a date, date with we, the with the pastor, uh huh, which is Perfect dress to wear for Pastor. He's going to lose his mind. <laughs> and I believe this is all taking place within the three weeks between uh, the uh, season three Halloween episode and the season five uh, Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> well, we got the foreshadow, I think, of like uh, Mona in a casket in this one, too. Again, more A, arts and crafts. Yeah, I just love the idea that. Laura Lane barely had time to get to the car and this package was delivered by. <laughs> yeah. It was like, wasn't satisfied at the, it, uh, her first uh, clues with the eight balls. It's like, nope, we got to top ourselves here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is the stuff I'm talking about though. This is so surreal. You know, this whole idea that just, just look at some of these shots. I feel like just pulling frames from some of these shots and, 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 I mean that itself. This is this is the definition of surrealism, you know. Yeah. I mean, there. That's a beautiful shot. It's just like four girls looking in the casket. <laughs> a doll's casket. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Is it in four fourteen or, or five fourteen where we see the little girls who look just like all the liars? I think it's four oh one. Is that 401? Okay. Yeah, where they have their little mini-me's, yeah. Right, right, okay, that's right, yeah. Oh, and then they call Caleb over. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad drawing. I always remember this episode's funny because everything is pretty much set up, so it's like, yeah, CC's clearly A, <laughs> and then you just show Ezra at the end, and everyone's like, totally forgets about CC being A for a season and a half. Yeah. Didn't see, see, like uh, there was a lot of this stuff though that I mean the, the, the whole end game of CC was already in the works at this part mm-hmm. at, at this, at, this was all already kind of being discussed and talked about yeah. so this is where like Mona she gets out of Radley and she goes like straight to like a B&B right yeah. and the, and the B&B Jenna. I remember we had to figure out where to shoot the B&B so it's right across the street from the high school it was just this little <laughs> 
this little piece of a set that we used for the B&B just was uh, just right across the street from the high school. Oh, and, then, and also this apartment was as well. This whole apartment that she, There's isn't great, this where, um, this this is where Ren yeah. lives? Yeah. yeah. There's oh, a Ren great shot there coming up here. Something. The one where you have Shauna on the inside, like hiding that match luggage from Spencer, which how many times do people hide from Spencer when she's at the front door, but still, <laughs> yeah. is that an eyeball doorbell ringer? No, no. I think it's just a regular um, one. Yeah. The Airbnb was uh, not, not Airbnb. The B&B was just right over there to the left. And then this Mustang and there. Oh yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, I forgot about so much of this. Did Did you have any inkling at the time that Shauna was going to be a villain? Uh, you know, Marlene kept me in the loop of a lot. And, oh, I like this little French club scene. This is fun. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> this was fun. And this and this, uh, this young lady was fun. The uh, PLO annotations for this one is like pages like, how do you say this bitch in French? <laughs> uh. I would say the previous scene, the one thing Spencer hates more than people like hiding from her is like people hiding from her like poorly. <laughs> She's just insulted. Yeah. I loved all the little uh, production design dough they did. Uh, the neon. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I always appreciated how hard our, our production design department worked and how, how they just would, you know, it would have been really easy just to phone it in on the French club, just being in a room, but the, the neon back there, the neon Eiffel Tower. And I just. Maybe it's oh, just yeah, because the sound is off. It, like I, did not trust that character at all. Like, I feel like she was lying for Mona. No. Oh, and this is uh, Toby and his mother's box. So this is... <laughs> it's an artistic drawing of the mom. There's a lot of shading. Now, why does he have... Oh, I guess because she's dead. That's why. Right? She's dead. Yeah. Did, did they, like, find a box of her stuff somewhere? I can't remember. I can't either. She's the she's the Rebecca of 4A. She just like haunts Toby's storyline. <laughs> Miss call from Spencer and then a text from Spencer that says, call me. <laughs> oh, Toby's apartment, which may or may not have a bathroom. <laughs> oh, and then there's Shauna. Uh-oh. Oh, she's such a bad villain. <laughs> Meanwhile, Toby's like, I'm a great detective. That's <laughs> right. At this moment, he decided to become a cop. Perry Mason right here. This case, this case is really getting to me. Is it like packing slips? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's a demon express. Now, was it ever explained how Rin and Shauna knew each other? I cannot remember. Through, well, I was going to say through Jenna, but they didn't really know. Rin was never a uh, compatriot of Jenna, really. So, really, like, probably he just called somebody and said, do you know anybody who can ship some stuff for me? And I guess Alex and, uh, Alex Drake knew Cece Drake, and Cece, Jenna, was like one of her buddies, so... Well, Have they met at this point? Well, Spencer just asked the same question. She was like, <laughs> well, how, how does Shauna know Rand? And uh, I don't think, 
I don't think anybody really knows. So that's one of those those that's one of those existential questions out there that, <laughs> that people will be talking about 20 years from now. How did mm-hmm. China know Ren? I, that is, I know that's a pretty shot. I love the lighting here. Yes. Yeah. I know we're not going to solve it here, but I feel like it's after 4A where CC and Alex meet. And I know look, look how pretty the lighting is under you guys. I really have to yeah. give a shout out to Larry Reeman here because look, look how pretty that is. I mean, I loved it when we got into this kind of stuff where, you know, one side of the face is almost in dark. Yeah. Darkness. I think that that's so pretty. Also, this is an important scene. She's calling him out on what he did to her the previous season of just, you know, faking his death and sending her <laughs> down to a spiral of. <laughs> I forgot all about that. Yeah. Uh, insanity. Like, you know, there's, there's some serious dysfunction I was in, in town, this town. Spencer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Look at Keegan's haircut there. It's a little. <laughs> it's it's getting it's, longer. It's, it's very quaffed. It's, mm-hmm. it's only going to get thicker. There. You should. You guys should ask uh, Keegan to do one of these. Love it. I would love it. I do think that uh, these two are always fun to work with. They're really. Um, they really were close friends and it was it was just always pleasant whenever i had a scene with the two of them i wonder if maybe part of the reason for all the keegan dead mom drama was to uh or toby dead mom drama was to uh make him a little more sympathetic after what he did to spencer the previous season mm. well i i don't know about that but oh here's the like a white movie <laughs> you know this is shadow this, on the uh, stairs I don't remember what this was, but I just remember we we got it for really cheap. So that mm-hmm. was like I think I had ideas of other things, and then it was like, well, no, we can get this one for no money. So there's there's a whole list of Warner Brothers movies that we could use, and mm-hmm. and then it, it was different amounts of money for each one of them based upon the rights. And so sometimes we would just take what we could get. <laughs> right. I don't remember that being one that that there was a lot of. Um, um, like thought going into no I think it was just like alright that's as good as anything else let's just slap it up there I like Arya's uh, solution like he's falling asleep and she's like well I can make you some coffee then yeah. <laughs> not like maybe you should go to sleep yeah. it's so disappointing it's yeah. so disappointing when you hang a whole relationship on you know one of your fetishes mm-hmm. well I think that's going to be a thing with Ezra coming up is that he orders a refill and she's just like yeah yeah. Also, how long was he asleep before she noticed on this movie date? <laughs> like she's just making, she's just doing her own MST3K, and Jake's just like not responding. <laughs> yeah, they're and like sticking this place out. This is supposed to be Mona's house, right? Yeah, I think so. Which was right across the street from Emily's house. I mean, we, you know, the fun thing about this show is we were always trying to make other places be things and just shoot it in such a way that you didn't really know where you were but this was all within like a i think i walked you out there i mm-hmm. showed you guys that area there was just nothing everything was in like a within 50 feet of everything else you know <laughs> oh and this is supposed to be pages room yeah 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 so this was oh wow yeah I think this was a one-off. I think this set was just built for this this episode. And uh, 
or was it used before? I can't remember. Um, uh, I want to say there's maybe one other sleepover, but I can't remember if it yeah, was this. In. This was one of our swing stages, though. We put this up for for this. Mark, are you thinking of the one where she has like half of a cornrow situation on her hair? <laughs> I just remember there's one where there's like a sleeping bag on yeah. the floor of somebody's room because, you know, Paige is like, you live in a nightmare. <laughs> Can you imagine the poetry readings at the brew? I mean, that, that, oh, is this the scene where they kiss? That, there was yeah, a yeah, spinoff. Yeah. yeah. Go falafel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poetry readings at the brew with Ezra. We wrote about the cat found but lost. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that you remember that. Yeah, I remember the poems of all my my students, my particularly my female students. Well, it's committed it's like, to memory. It's kind of brilliantly subtle here because he's just like, I always thought that was about Ali speaking to my hidden microphone. <laughs> <laughs> See, she, he's going to ask for a refill. This uh, poor terrified brew. They're gonna get a refill too. And she's like, hey. Mm. All right. He can hang. I'm with the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I dating a guy my own age? Uh, roughly. I don't think Jake roughly. is my own age <laughs> Oh gosh. You wanna know the ending, but you still want to be surprised. Yeah. Now you see, this violates all my rules about the their relationship. He's taller than she is yeah. in all these scenes. That's true. So I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that Marlene always does, she writes a lot of romance into her episodes. There's always a lot of romance. There's always these moments of people connecting and and feeling. Uh, um, okay, Dark Passage, though. That had to be picked, right? Well, I think it was a situation of, um, I was given a budget you know okay it was it's like you can spend this amount of money on such and so you can you know so i i'm sure that i can't i can't remember the 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 specifics but there was always some conversation about we 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 need to save money so did you you pick this song or it's singing this isn't control this isn't control as uh, Arya's talking to ezra here I don't yeah. remember, but I, I don't think I did. I think this was something that one of the editors suggested. This the is... editors were very, very good with music. They always mm-hmm. really were great about suggesting things. That is one of my favorite Aria Ezra moments there, the way she kisses him and then just kind of like, just kind of shrugs and is like, I don't know, continues mm-hmm. talking to him. I always thought that was like really naturally yeah. done. Now, which red coat do you think that was outside the window? Was that uh, Allie or Cece? Sarah Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Would it have been Allie? Would she have come into town? I feel like it's probably more mm. likely to be Shauna, actually. But who knows? Shauna in a blonde wig? Yeah. How far do you think Ravenswood is from... Um... Uh, well, you have to go through a portal, I think, to get there. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God, they have another they... one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, look how well that was wrapped. Oh my this god, is, this uh, is the best A gift right here. I wonder if Cece and her minions all like they're like, okay, you each get to do one art project. <laughs> well, but like you were saying, Norman, like it's like 
you're, you know, you're terrorizing these girls, but they're a bad audience. So you're like, okay, <laughs> I need a bigger, more terrifying gift. Yeah. And, and why wouldn't they just call UPS and get the tracking number and find out where, <laughs> where it came from? Ta-da. See, again, I mean, it's just, I love this stuff. It's so, it's so artistically done, you know? Mm-hmm. But our props guy was just fantastic, Chris Vale. Also, Spencer's vest shirt is just covered in keys. <laughs> it was it was um it was fun. It was fun that everybody, every department felt really free to explore their own creative vision. And as long as it fit within what uh, Marlene thought was appropriate or whatever the producer writer on the episode thought was appropriate, we were really allowed to do great stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. See, so this is right in front of Emily's house. So you're not supposed to know that. So we had a hedge back behind these guys and uh, this, we set this up over here on the other side. Uh, like those pillars uh, we put there, you know, to mm-hmm. make it feel like a, a different place but this is all like right around the corner from the school and right in front of emily's house three newspapers got delivered overnight <laughs> see this is where he takes his car right yeah yeah there's a weird homoerotic subtext in this whole section the way these guys are always like in their their other scene their other episode where like they're just like holding cups in this like manly yeah. fashion as <laughs> if that's a shield against the homoeroticism <laughs> I miss these ladies I really do it was so much fun just to go to work and every day that I had with with them was just it was just a blast I think I've talked about before all four of them took direction in radically different ways Hmm. so you had to always tailor your remarks to each one of them you know i had to give them notes separately because they all responded to notes in different ways on the stakeout that that sketch artist is damn good. That's all I can say. Yeah, it's a good picture. <laughs> this always makes me think of that scene in uh, Zero Dark Thirty when uh, her car is coming out of the gate and it gets shot up. <laughs> you think it's Officer Barry? Uh, the stock shot. Stock, stock shot. shot. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's and Officer Barry who does the loving sketches? <laughs> Maybe. That's, that's fun to think about. We know we're in Ravenswood now because everything's slightly blue and desaturated. Oh, that's right. They did that weird saturation. I never really understood that, but it was, I, in fact, I argued against that. I said, well, shouldn't you save that for Ravenswood as opposed to suddenly in the middle of this episode going to. But I mean, the show Ravenswood wasn't like bluer, if I remember correctly. Right. It might have had a little bit of that. You no, know, no, it definitely yeah. had a different tint. Okay. To it. This was the tint of Ravenswood. <laughs> And that guy, Marlene and I decided he's the one that grabs Emily. Okay. Though it's never explained why. And it's never explained exactly why this guy and that guy were in league with Cece. And there was even some talk about maybe this guy 
is Charles. You know, right. we mm -hmm. talked about that. And then there's uh, Grunewald. Grunewald's like, I attend every one of these outdoor magic shows. <laughs> <laughs> when we're not worshiping the statue or whatever thing we yeah, do Yeah, that like weird bio This, guy, this guy is great. This is Brian Dare, And he was on um, Jane the Virgin mm. for a long time. And uh, he was wonderful. I, I loved working with him. And then I worked with him subsequently on Jane the Virgin. <laughs> Lovely guy. Like, Aria, I know you're claustrophobic, but uh, you got to do this magic trick. But again, you know, this is just like something out of some French film. Yeah. You know? It's, uh, it reminds me of, um, oh, what is that French film that, um, well, I can't remember. So, African now, where does she go? Where does she go? She she disappears. But meanwhile, and the whole so reason for this, yeah, the <laughs> whole reason for this is so that that tall extra could drag Emily away and put her in a casket. This direction. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> but but it was right, very though. clever, you know. I mean, it was it was, but it was it wasn't something that uh, when when we were talking about Marlene didn't feel the need to kind of get too much into the mechanics of it. It's just like, it works, you know, it works. It works because you're not thinking about it. And it works, it, exactly, it is misdirection. It is the same way that a magic show works. Yeah. And, uh, so you're right that there are people who are still trying to tie the great Charlemagne into their their. I heard theory. a lot of people that thought that was CC somehow, you know, or, or Well, a, I mean, Ezra. I, I, think that, I think that that's really supposed to be the idea is that the great Charlemagne yeah. is is uh, either, uh, I know that we talked about it at some point, that like, who is this guy? Well, you know, he's, he's a version of Charles or mm -hmm. in league with Charles or mm. whatever. But the, um, uh, and now this whole sequence is was, was so much fun. And uh, I think you guys have seen my storyboards of this, like I storyboarded the sequence extensively or have, have you, I can't remember. Did I don't I think I have. This with you? I so well, I'll, I'll send them to you sometime because, uh, this is a sequence I actually show my students because I had it so carefully storyboarded. And um, it's very, very close to what I storyboarded. But it was just, there was too much work to do that if I didn't have it storyboarded, it would have just been too confusing for everybody. Right. So it really um, was something that, that we um, planned in detail because of the fact that it was so much work to do in one day, and so the storyboards start right in here. Um, and um, um, this is back around on the other side of the sound stages. And then uh, this is a big open space that we built all this. We built this song, nice. which was which was fun. And uh, would you guys like to talk about this part of it? I remember you uh, you were giving us some shit about. Uh... We never asked how is the thing chained to a sawmill? Like how is it chained yeah. to a conveyor belt that's moving? Yeah, yeah. There's no way to do that. And <laughs> and again, like people were, you know, the prop guy was kind of like, this just doesn't make any sense. And I was like, nobody will be thinking about that. Yeah. So just tape it. Like, see, it's just it's just taped to the bottom of the of so the, the box. Theory, nobody is thinking about it. Yeah. Theory is it's just taped to the bottom of the box. And A is like. Look at how they responded to my magical nightmare <laughs> gifts. They'll never look under the coffin. 
but it, it to me, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. It's a perfect example of like, the, these are dream images, you know? I mean, all of this, it's, it's dream logic. The two ladies in their red coats were there. They just happened to be dressed exactly the same, even though they have nothing to do with each other. None right. of it makes sense. One of them has a mask of the other's face on, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have to make sense. It's just this idea that um, um, the, these things make you feel something. It makes you. It, it, it sweeps you into an emotional space. It really does. Uh, and well, then so this whole, the shortest person is going to kick CC in the face. Come yeah, on. but you know, I thought it was great the way that they built in. Like she was doing all of this uh, training with um, yeah. with uh, what's his face, Jake. Um, yeah. Jake. Yeah, and. Um, um, and then it pays off here in this finale, you know, which I, I thought was great. And then and you have uh, like a saboteur moment coming up, right? Yeah, this was based on saboteur, and I brought that up. You know, um, I can't remember if it was scripted this way. I think she just fell, and then I suggested that we do the saboteur uh, uh, gag. I can't remember exactly. I know that there was some discussion about it because I showed Marlene the clip, and um, but. I, I wish that I lit it a little better because I feel like the gag doesn't play that well. And uh, that shot of Lucy is actually flipped uh, uh, because she, uh, yeah, we, we um, needed a closer shot. And so I flipped one on her because the, it was on the wrong side of the line. And um, then I love this, the way like she fell in such a way that she would have absolutely broken her leg. Yeah. She, and then you know, these a, girls, it's a real, uh... girls, they're just so not attentive, you know, that like basically it's a Michael Myers so moment can, here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You can hop up and run out of there, you know, it's uh, yeah. so she's like, you know, Oh like, wait, they're just talking to each other. I'll just get up and run away. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It works. I'm sorry. I think it to me, I don't know how, I, I don't know how you can watch something like this and not buy in. To, to dream logic. They're just like, you know, I, I, I can't believe I don't know. she's dead after falling 15 feet. <laughs> but she would have broken her leg the yeah. way that she landed. Yeah. And then, um, okay, what's coming? Oh, and then they find, yeah, Ezra's I think wood digs. The end of this episode is is another reason that fans subconscious well talk about the the set direction of that creepy photo there (laughs) (laughs) uh you know i think after this whole sequence there's no redeeming ezra Mm -hmm. but you know at this point i just felt like we're just going off into a dream logic digression you know like it's it's almost like what if it were Ezra Mm -hmm. you know like there's there's an interpretation of this show that these are all just various versions of things you know that are that exist within the the subconscious of these these ladies it's it's great I mean this on a certain level could be the end of the show you Mm -hmm. know yeah it's just Mm -hmm. like it's 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 fun to 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 think about it that way and and you know see how i placed her in the foreground there all of that oh and here's the bed and breakfast you know, see this right across the street from the high school and there's um toby being all stalkerish but i mean yeah you're right because like 
later on, Arya's like, wait a minute. All of that was for a book? I mean, you blew up <laughs> giant creepy photos of Allison for a book? Like, how much money have you been spending in, like, renting this yeah. place out and all these computer systems? Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to break even on your advance, Ezra. <laughs> you're driving 50 miles and one portal to hell away to rent this place? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, like, how much money do you invest in all those computer screens and everything on a teacher's salary? Yeah, I also figured he had to have been getting money from his uh, rich parents for that. Oh yeah, of course. I forgot about the fact that he came from wealth. <laughs> Crack over the, the trust fund, right? Creepy yeah. book. Yeah, <laughs> forgot. Like he's just indulging his, you know, high school obsessions. The on- the Fitzgerald Art Museum sold a couple priceless works of art just to afford all this. <laughs> I love the post-its. Everything was like so organized. Yeah, I don't know if I, Ezra would really be that organized, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, he's got, he's definitely gotten certain. Does he know that there's like a hidey hole behind the giant creepy poster? I don't remember. I don't, I know that I, again, I, I basically asked these questions, but then I just <laughs> surrendered to it's just all these photos of Ali. Because I mean, the that closet becomes a big deal in the very last moment. But it's like, why does he have so many clothes here? <laughs> <laughs> but see, I mean, I think if you take the show literally, mm-hmm. yeah, then th- there's really problematic aspects to it. If you just go with it, like you know, what if what if the guy I was with was this guy you know then i think it's a really fun way to think about the show and he he could um, conceivably be that guy we know he comes from money yeah, and uh-huh, we don't always know yeah. what he's up to yeah yeah well it's 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 a great evolution of the the show's constant surveillance or somebody's watching yeah. the angle i love the idea that he prints all these things out on little index cards though and post these letters from Allison. I mean, it's... All I can think is he has, like, his terrible memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. To, like, he really needs these reminders. Yeah. Like, like this is Allison. Yeah. This is Greenwald. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Um because we see all this, and then we see that one glimpse of the book where it's just like, the first thing she ever told me was a lie. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all of this fed into that prose, huh? Yeah. Now, I think we're coming up soon to the uh, scene with Grunewald, right? That's coming up? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Which That's- was really, really fun. And I wish Marlene was here to talk about it with, with, uh, with me, because um, this was, because uh, this is basically what's leading into the pilot of Ravenswood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, wait, the girls were, this was, I want to say this was the middle of the night. Everybody was tired. Nobody was really giving it to us. And so Marlene said like, oh, let's just ask Meg to just go off and make up a bunch of shit. And so we had her just like kind of, I mean, none of that's in the show, but we just had her going on and on just to get these reactions from the girls, you know, because it wasn't, uh, um, it's so much fun to hear Marlene tell it. So you should, um, <laughs> You should have her uh, explain to you sometime because Marlene and I were just sitting at Video Village just laughing because it, it was so funny to listen to her kind of t- spin this yarn. And um, 
I love how they went indoors and it was like, I don't know, afternoon and now it's like <laughs> night and then there's fog were, everywhere well, and people in well, all time. They clothes. were there. They were there working for yeah, hours, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, going through all that stuff. So that was the idea. I love the mood uh, when they come out. Yeah. Yeah. This feels to me like some, you know, London fog thing. Mm. Yeah. And then this whole, this whole thing was just. Oh, so yeah. Great. This reveal. Yeah, I just love the whole idea that Grunewald just knew. She just knew. You need to go to the backyard. And then Allie's trying to get out. Yeah, I mean, look at this fog. It's like Jack the Ripper is like stalking <laughs> yeah. everyone here. <laughs> Absolutely. And then uh, this whole sequence of poor Sasha, she did this. She got mm-hmm. under the dirt and let us pull her through it. It was She was such a good sport. Love that whole thing. But this is where Meg was just going off and just improvising and making up stuff, you know, to get the girls to react. And then I love the idea that, you know, when we talked about what kind of car would she be in, I said, how about an old Cadillac? (laughs) (laughs) I said, it has to be an old Cadillac. It can't be something that's... uh, I said it should just be something that's just, you know, from another time. Because in my mind... You know, that's what makes all of this work. If you just put her in a Toyota Camry, you know, it just wouldn't have had nearly the creepy feel that it does, you know? Yeah. And uh, it would, it would like tilt into like parody almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just wouldn't have been as much fun. I mean, the thing, you're right. Yes, you can say it's a supernatural kind of experience, but I really feel like this just feels like. This is this is surrealism. This is what mm-hmm. this is. This is uh, just dream imagery, and even the fact that they go to a costume shop and find costumes that are perfect for all of them, you know, and so that they can go to this Ravenswood party with all the costumes, mm-hmm. yeah. which very, is just like a normal Tuesday in Ravenswood. Very ominous. You need to leave. You're being watched. <laughs> So I guess she knows about Ezra. Well, you know, she's psychic. She knows all kinds of things. And then she just disappears. He's here. Yeah, she's she's psychic. She doesn't know, like, she just just responds to the the muse. Back in um, Rosewood. Like this bus only exists on, like, full moons (laughs) or something. (laughs) It's a Rosewood bus. Caleb's like, no, this is a normal bus. This is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do love this. I mean, he's like, I, I never ride the bus normally anyways. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like he gets there and he's like, oh, I took the bus. And they're like, that bus line hasn't run since 1973. Yet. <laughs> Why did he give away his car again? What was the. I guess Toby needed that? to follow or go somewhere with it. Yeah, I don't know. It was a little unclear. So he gave away his car. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. That's how close friends gave, are, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he gave away his car. Oh God. So when they do the intervention in season five, like Toby's just operating on pure guilt. <laughs> this is also like one of my favorite photos of the cast that you took, Norman. Oh yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like uh you're talking about the Instagram photo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then uh, that's Ezra. Four feet away. They don't notice him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got a cap on. 
His evil cap, yeah. His invisible cap, yeah. Was this the reveal of him? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. I remember coming home one night from something, logging into like Facebook of all places and seeing people outraged. I feel like Ian hurt his hand when he did this. Oh, he goes he, for it, yeah. Yeah. That's fitting, considering he when he punches the wall later in the show. Yeah. And then, yeah, then this whole thing, this World War One reference, which was certainly um, inexplicable. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as I remember, this is supposed to be Ezra. Um, is it? Like, I think there's like two, there of, two them. of them. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, he dressed up like this. Mm-hmm. One of them definitely has, right? Yeah. Well, that was fun. <laughs> and that was fun, like trip down memory lane. Oh, I yeah. do really like this episode, though, and it is one of the episodes that I do teach in my class. I would show, I show the storyboards, I show the sequence, I, I um, um, talk about all of those aspects of it. The, the. Um, the emotion driving the thing. Nobody asked any questions about this at the time, as I remember. Maybe you guys did, but uh, certainly none of the none of the fans seemed disturbed by any of the logic in that. Um, um, I think everyone was just focused on Ezra at the time. Yeah, I think that uh, that's one of the things that I think is really enjoyable about it is that it works on the level of just pure um, cinematic emotion. It's really pure cinema. Just watching it as we just watched it just now, it, 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 it's, it proves my point about the nature of visual storytelling. If, if you watch this episode without sound, you, you get it. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't need the sound to kind of tell you the story, the emotional story. You get it. You get the um, the the fact that certain people are upset at certain people, and that certain people are alienated from certain people. You you get all that, and um, that's we've talked about it before. That's what I do. I break mm-hmm. down the script that way. It's just how how do I tell this story visually if somebody um, wasn't able to hear all of the exposition. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's fun. Thanks for doing this one, guys. This oh yeah, absolutely. I think we'll yeah. we'll definitely need to do at least once more one more that's earlier so that we can keep yes. saying. Well, let's do <laughs> let's do one with maybe with the, maybe we should do one with Joe Doherty uh, from uh, one one of our earlier episodes. Can like I our, can I throw out the suggestion? Sure. Hector yeah. Lime. Oh, for so was that before this? Yeah, that yeah. was before this. Uh-huh. It's just only a couple episodes before. It's like earlier this season, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's uh, that's also the same thing I'm talking about. Why? Why with the masks? Why was <laughs> Melissa needing to like break them and throw them in the lake? You know, why, why, why? Well, it doesn't matter why. It's just fun shit. You know, it's just, uh, it's fun to watch. It's not, it doesn't have to have a logical reason to it. And mm-hmm. I, you know, quite frankly, I really want to push back more against that idea because I think that I've, I've had it with people 
talking about, well, it didn't make sense. This didn't make sense. That didn't make sense. I'm like, well, give me a break. You know, nothing <laughs> made sense. It, right. it, it wasn't about making sense. It was just about leading you down a path and, and, and giving you fun stuff to, to play with and consider. And as I said, as we were watching this, I think that there's a version of the show where you could see each one of these various strands of a mystery just leading you down a, a line of like, what if it was Toby? What if it was Aria? What if it was, was Ezra? What if it was this person or that person? You know, I, I think that there's a way to look at it more from a psychological point of view of examining, you know, the paranoia that any teenager feels, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't all have to be quite so um, literal, you know, it, it doesn't make it as much fun, quite frankly, you know, if it were literal, then I would have really had to figure out different things to do with that casket on the conveyor belt. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was a lot of fun revisiting that. And yeah, I think uh, if you're listening to this, this may... now, then you've already listened to the podcast where we discussed about uh, episode season four, episode four, FaceTime. So yeah, maybe we can do that with Joseph Doherty. Uh, I, I think this may be one of my favorite episodes than what we just looked at. I think this it certainly is up there in the top two or three for me because I, I do think it was just so outside the box of everything else I did on the show that I, I just had a great time doing it. I think I've seen interviews where you've mentioned this one and especially Escape from New York. Yes, and for the same reason, because it was outside of the box of what we usually did. You know, it was, it was doing something different and it was allowing me to play with visual references and, and just, again, pure emotion. The Escape to New York doesn't make any sense either, you know? <laughs> It's though is those um Allison's been living in a theater for all this time that's like one of my favorite I mean I love that but that in itself is such a great that's a that's a great fantasy the idea of like who hasn't had that fantasy of like oh I just like to live here in this theater mm-hmm. you know and uh, also just solving the the complexities of the show trying to trying to um um figure out how to do it because shooting it was complicated shooting this sequence was complicated we had so many safety meetings about that that uh, sawmill sequence you know to make sure that we had a safety rep not just for the sawmill itself but because you know the girls couldn't get within you know a certain number of feet of it it was it was a it was a live saw you know so we had to have all kinds of safety meetings about that but then also all of that stuff up the rafters Mm -hmm. with them fighting on the the catwalk and then um, um, CC being knocked over, all of that required a lot of work. And so there was a lot of, um, of safety meetings about it. And, and that kind of thing is, is fun to figure out because you have to be so precise in the doing of it. You can't, you can't leave anything to chance. And, uh, and so it's, it's exciting when, when you do something and then are able to actualize it the way you imagine it. I'll send you the storyboards so you can see it because the it's it's pretty interesting. It's very close to what I did on the storyboards. Obviously, there's things that you change on the day. You just decide, oh, I'll do this instead of that. But the um, the the basic structure of it was there on the page, and and I visualized it, and then 
we we did that, which is always really fun, you know, because and then Escape to New York was the same thing because you know we shot part of it in an actual theater and then we shot part of it back on the stage with the scenery. You know, there's a lot, um, all that stuff with um, them stalking Shauna around the stage with the gun. Mm. You know that, that that whole part of the sequence was shot back on the sound stage, not in the actual theater, but it's seamless. You don't even know. So it was all very, very carefully planned. So until right. next time, yeah. until 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 earlier in the run of this <laughs> thing. How many of these are you going to do? Are you going to do them all? Or are you going to do like? I don't know. It's possible. I guess we'll see what uh, if people like them. You know. Are you going to release them all at once? Or are you going to release them like that? Not sure. I mean, we're going to have at least a half dozen or so stacked up. So I, I don't want to, I, I don't know. I want to give each one its own, you know, opportunity to catch on with people. So maybe like one a day or every two days at first or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, yeah, let's reach out to Joe and see if we can do, I'd be up for doing the Hector Lime episode. I don't remember what else happens in that one. I just remember the, the that's a, shack out by the lake. That's a double up where you guys did two in a row. I think so, yeah, four or three. And four yeah, there was, yeah. All so right. maybe we should do both of them. Maybe we should do, maybe we should hey. go through both of them. That would be maybe. fun. That'd be fun, yeah. Fun. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's close out the episode proper here. Thanks for joining us, Norman. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. It was yeah. fun. Happy to have you, and uh, we'll be back next time with some more PLL. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.